Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey. Great to have you here this morning and every weekday. And not every weekday. We don't do the weekdays. What am I talking about? Every, every, every Smart Investing Show is what we do. We're glad to have you listen to the show uh, every time that uh, we come on here. Uh, we always do talk about uh, investing, the economy, the markets, which actually we will talk about that because the markets have been going through a hard time, which we said this would kind of happen anyways. Uh, we knew probably the first six months of this year were going to be difficult. Maybe in the first eight months will be difficult. Uh, but let me pull in Chase. Uh, Chase, how you doing? Good, good. Good to be here as always. Yeah, just kind of talking about the, the markets. Uh, difficult week last week. and uh, But, it, you know, if you didn't expect this was going to happen, we've talked about it's going to happen. This is part of true investing. That's why we're here to help people through. It's not always everyday things go up. Yeah, and I, I think it's especially noticeable after a day like yesterday worst day of the year i guess so far markets down close to three percent oh my gosh Wait, markets down almost 10 10.6 oh just for that for day. yesterday okay. I, okay. yeah yeah but for the year yeah yeah i think it's 10.6 is the s&p's so down. correction territory yeah and it, we were anticipating a correction to happen this year and it did yeah and i i think you got so many different headwinds coming. You got the, the inflation concerns. Well, it comes with inflation concerns. Now the Fed, are they going to rise too quickly? Oh, my gosh. Now that's hitting the markets. You have Russia and Ukraine going on. There's all these different things going on. I still think that the big thing that's spooking the markets right now is obviously the interest rates. And you have all these high-tech names that were so, so pricey. I think you're going to continue to see this volatility. And I, I, I think May is going to be a really difficult month. And we're not traders, so I, I don't look at the trends or anything. But I, I just think you're going to see a lot more days like yesterday. You're going to see big upswings, big downturns. I, I think you're, it's going to be a bumpy ride this summer. And we say you got uh, one week left of uh, April. <laughs> so uh, it's going to, we believe, uh, probably continue. Uh, but you can't let this, this panic you if you have good quality businesses. And that's why we do take the calls to kind of go over things. And we will tell you if things are too high, uh, we'll look at the fundamentals of them. And, and there are a few companies that still have not, in my opinion, been hit yet. Uh, we saw Netflix get hit. We've seen Disney get hit. Uh, you still have, and, and actually some companies are really down quite a bit, but I, yeah. I, Apple is still holding strong. Uh, Microsoft, actually Microsoft, I think had a high of 350 though, I believe, didn't it? I think Microsoft and Apple are both close to like 10, 15% off their highs. Yeah, because I think Apple was about a high of 180, now it's around 160. So yeah, it's about 10% down. Uh, Microsoft, I think, did hit like 350, I believe. Somewhere around there, I Yeah, believe. and I think now it's around 270, 280. So that's about a 20% decline, maybe. But um, anyways, I mean, that's what we're here for. If you have those companies, you want to kind of talk about them, uh, we do take calls. We've got a few things we want to talk about that happened this past week to keep you informed. Uh, phone numbers, I'll give them to you now. Write them down, 833 288 0973. That's 833 And in times like this, I mean, we were talking in the office yesterday, is you have to understand you're a long-term investor. And 
people are going to say, what are you saying? No, I'm, I'm not a long-term investor. I'm looking at retiring here shortly, or I'm looking at buying a home, or you know, I'm looking at uh, you know, I'm 80 years old. I'm not a long-term investor. And the thing is, you need to understand that you need to structure your portfolio so that you're always a long-term investor. And what I mean by that is keeping out cash if you're older to make sure your investments are still growing and you can invest those funds. Because, I'm sorry, you, you can't be in these other types of bonds and, you know, these short-term assets right now because the interest rates are still terrible. Yeah. So you need to understand you are a long-term investor no matter your age. You just need to make sure your portfolio is structured properly so that you can be a long-term right. investor. And I was curious, so I did just uh, take a quick look at the Microsoft and uh, their high was $349.67. Uh, they closed on Friday at 274. So year-to-date, they're down about 18.4%, which is more than the S&P 500 and more than I'd want to see. And actually, if they go another, what, two percentage points, they'll be in bear. Market. Well, they actually are from their high. That's year-to-date. Oh, that's year-to-date. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, actually, I looked at, they're down that's about 20.1%. Right. But they also, I believe, I think them, Apple, uh, and a couple other big names do report this week. So, uh, again, I mean, we saw a Tesla report last week. People Tesla know I don't. Right? People people <laughs> know I don't like Tesla. I I'm wait, 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 wait. We we like the car. We don't like the fact that the stock is so overpriced. I mean, I, you got to you know reward Elon Musk for a great thing. The car is a good car, but it's just what we don't like is that the stock price is so high. We're concerned that investors will get burnt. Yeah, and I was gonna say I I I gotta give Elon Musk kudos. I, that that quarter yeah. was phenomenal in terms yeah. of the numbers. But again. It should have been phenomenal because the stock is so expensive. So, you know, it, it's and the thing is, the stock didn't even react that well. I mean, they, they were pretty much up, I think, two percent yeah. on the news, and uh, that, that's about where they held. So, I, I just worry that now those companies, it, it, you're having to beat and beat by a lot to get any type of excitement. And obviously, we saw Netflix. We'll get into that, but I was gonna, I'm going to be very interested to see what happens with Apple and Microsoft this week because we know the expectations are high for those businesses. Yep. So. Well, let's talk about Netflix because they did report results and the company did lose 200,000 paid subscribers and a forecast, a loss of 2 million subscribers in the second quarter. You know, one thing I was wondering too, if that is going to come from Russia, because I think Russia, they shut down the operations of Russia. Do you know if that's why they're predicting 2 million in the second quarter? I do believe there's like 700,000 and I don't yeah. recall if some of it occurred in the first quarter and the rest is occurring in the second quarter if it already occurred. But uh, either way, I mean, you're still talking about a net loss of 2.2 million over the, the two quarters. 700,000 is in even half of that. Yeah, that's true. And, and it is clear that streaming competition is catching up with the company. Uh, I do believe this loss of subscribers is going to be isolated to Netflix as other streamers continue to play catch up. For example, HBO and HBO Max saw subscribers climb 3 million compared to last quarter and 12.8 million. That's a huge bump from last year. Uh, this put total their total subscribers at 76.8 million versus Netflix, which is close to 222 million paying households. This leaves ample room for HBO to continue to close that gap. The difficulty in the industry is the cost of content as Goldman Sachs analyst estimates that the top 10 streaming companies will spend some $130 billion on content. That's up from 10% from last year. Gosh, maybe we should become actors because <laughs> who's going to get all that money, that $130 billion? <laughs> That's a lot of money. Uh, and, and the other thing I look at too is I, I believe it is likely this cost will continue to rise as streaming companies must continue to excite consumers or risk losing them as paying customers 
It is clear that it is possible for more than one streaming company to succeed, as last year American households had an average of 4.5 streaming services and spent an average of $55 a month. This is still favorable compared to the average cable package, which still costs $98 a month, and I believe it means these streaming companies still have some room to increase prices. With cable penetration in the U.S. peaking in the early 2010s, around 100 million subscribers, cord cutting has continued to increase, as now there are fewer than 70 million households that pay for a bundled TV subscription, like cable or satellite. I believe this trend will continue, leaving room for the streaming industry to grow over the next few years. I do see value in some streaming names, and if Netflix slide continues, it soon could become a value name as well. Well, that'd be interesting because uh, we could, if it hit the right prices, and if somebody calls in about it, we'll go over the numbers for it. Uh, but it could become a buy for us at a value. We want to get value. We want to get things on sale. Uh, and Chase, got to point out, I'm still one of those 70 million households that has <laughs> the cable. I do have streaming as well. I think I have, what, Netflix uh, uh, and uh, Paramount. Uh, and HBO. Well, HBO, I get that actually through the cable, cable company. And I was, I was wondering, I was sitting here thinking about that. I think I get more going through the cable company because I think I get HBO and I think I get some other channels as well. If I went directly to HBO, I think I would just get the HBO Max. So I should probably check that. I think I pay, I don't know, 10 or maybe $15 a month for that. So, But I get more than just HBO Max. Hmm. So, And I still get to stream HBO Max. So that's yeah, a pretty good deal for the cable company. So. Yeah, I mean, it depends, I guess, where you're paying for the cable. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I forget what I pay for the cable. And I still like all the other shows. I still like to DVR things. And gosh, I was, I was one of the first guys to actually DVR. Like, wow, this is cool. Now it's like, oh, that's old school now. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, it, it is interesting, though, when you look at Netflix. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, and it, their earnings, they continue to beat, and they continue to beat. And the thing is, nobody cares about earnings because their earnings per share are actually $3.53 versus an estimated two ninety one. But you don't get to kind of change the rules of the game where, you know, your earnings were so bad for years, but your subscribers were beating, and that's what was pumping the stock higher. Well, now you trade off subscribers, nobody cares about the earnings. Yeah. But the thing is, if that slide continues and earnings are still there, that's what excites us. We're like, yes. well, wait a minute. Now this company's profitable and it's actually trading at good valuations, this company could become a value company. And especially, too, I, mean, I, I looked at the numbers here. If you invested in Netflix back in like 2017, at the peak of it, I think it was last year, you were up like 375%. Now, you hold it through the downturn, you're only up 50%. 50%, yeah. And, and I was actually, I did want to look at those numbers because I did not realize that their 52-week high was $700.99. Uh, they closed on Friday at 215.52, year-to-date down 64.2. So they've been beating up quite a bit. And uh, we know that, uh, what's his name, Ackman, uh, he bought, I think, in at 350. He did sell out, I think it was $400 million he sold out. Could have been part of the reason for the downturn as well. Uh, those type of people just getting out of it. So we will see again. Somebody wants to call about that. We'll do more analysis on the numbers, but it's just one that uh, we think. Uh, but again, one or two things has to happen. Stock has to fall further or earnings have to come up. I was going to say too, that's the other issue is a, a, an analyst actually pointing this out. And I, I've said this before about growth companies is now I think Netflix is kind of in this limbo land where growth investors, again, they don't want it. And value investors, they're starting to maybe think about it, but it's still, the valuations still aren't quite enticing just right. yet. So they're kind of in between this growth and value. 
who's going to be the ones that are going to pick up Netflix? That's going to be the big question as to where that stock price is going to fall to. Yeah. Well, well let's talk about bonds because uh, I have recommended, you've recommended, we, we've recommended uh, investors stay away from bonds over the last uh, few years. And now you're beginning to see why. And this is one thing about investing is that it didn't happen the next week, the next month, even sometimes next year. But again, we're long-term investors. Now you're seeing why. As interest rates rise, bond prices are falling. There are no real safe places in bonds to start the year. And I believe this is likely to continue. The Vanguard, total bond fund, their symbols VBMFX, fell 6.5% the first quarter since the fund was launched in 1987. Its worst year was 1994's 2.7% decline. It's not just been this fund, though, as the iShares U.S. Treasury Bond ETF uh, GOVT declined 6.6%. The iShares National Muni Bond ETF lost 5.7%. The iShares iBox Investment Grade Corporate Bond ETF LQD, that fell 8.7%. The iShares iBox High Corporate Bond ETF lost 5.4%. The iShares 1 to 3 year Treasury Bond ETF declined just 2.6% in the quarter, but you're not getting much yield on that bond either, so that's not enough to make up what you're getting in the yield. And in this one, we know that longer duration bonds are getting hit much, much harder. Because you look at the iShares 20 plus year Treasury Bond ETF, that plunged 11% in the first quarter. We have not seen a rising rate environment like this in decades, and many investors will likely be disappointed when they find out bonds weren't the safe investment they thought. And again, I, I think this is going to continue. I looked at that Vanguard bond mm -hmm. just to kind of see where it's at now. We said it was down about 6% in the first quarter. Now it's down about 9.4% year to date. And this is one reason why we don't believe in the norm brokerage thing of asset allocation. You got to have so much in stocks and so much in bonds. Gosh, if you had, we'll just say a 60% in stocks and a 40% in bonds, you're not doing very good at all. You're, you're probably down well below 10%, I would guess. Well, I mean, you look at it, let's just use that Vanguard total bond ETF. That's down about what the S&P's down. So you're not getting that diversification. They're both down the same amount. So it's it's something that I think people are going to be shocked by at the end of the year because I still don't think this rising interest rate environment's done just yet. And I think we, we've come up a lot. I don't think we're going to see the same acceleration that we saw to start the year, but I still think you're going to see a climb higher right. as we end the year. Right. And that's why I don't believe in the asset allocation model of many brokers and stuff. And just like, oh, it's just a simple thing. Do this. Do the asset allocation. No. Like, and people say, well, I'm 70 years old. Should I be in bonds? No. Why would you be in bonds if, you know, rates are going up and bonds are going down? I mean, look for good investments. That's what we do. That's what we propose everybody do is do the research to find out what is right. And if you know rates are going up, why in the world would you have bonds in your portfolio? Because they're safe, right? And I tell people, <laughs> well, hey, at least you're safely losing money, right? right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, then, and then they will say, well, I'm on the short end. Well, okay, so now you're maybe in the two to five-year bonds. Well, now you're down maybe 2%, but you're still not making money. There's no safe place unless you want to go to a money market and just sit in cash. I was, was going to say is that short end, now you're down like maybe, a, a, yeah, you're only down maybe half a percent to a percent if you're on the real short end of two-year treasury, let's say. But as you said, it's like, okay, well, why don't you just sit in cash? Because then you'd be up 0.1% rather than you know, <laughs> down half a percent. I, yeah. I just, and we've said this now for months, for the last couple of years even, I, I'd rather sit in cash didn't put money into bonds as yep. a safe investment. Yep, yep. And, and also, and they, too, because that leaves me the opportunity to now buy something right. if something comes about that we want to rather than, oh, we got to sell this bond. Do we, do we sell the bond at a loss? 
and then to buy something. It's like, oh, we're just hitting cash. We're much more flexible to get into a new investment. Yeah, and there will be time. I had bonds in our portfolio back in 2006, 2007. Uh, we will have them in the portfolio sometime in the future, but we have to get a decent return before we say that. So uh, one thing we look at is that, you know, we're always looking at businesses to say, well, how are they going to do well? We're concerned about the profits. Well, the California legislation with a 32-hour work week for companies with more than 500 employees, well, this is just something that, that is not going to sit right with us because of the fact that's really going to hurt companies. Uh, and now, it appears to be there'd be no cut in pay, and those who work would be compensated at a rate of no less than 1.5 times employees' regular pay, rate of pay. I mean, this is just crazy. Uh, I have several problems with this idea. First, we know inflation is currently a major problem, and cutting the amount of time people work will not help with the supply side of the equation as we'll continue not to produce, transport more goods and services with less hours of work. This is just crazy, Chase. Yeah, and I mean, second, how are small businesses supposed to compete for good employees? If you have somebody that only has to work 32 hours versus, oh, no, I'm going to have you work 40 hours, like, oh, I'm making more money over there, and I only have to work less hours? Yeah. How, how are you supposed to compete against that? And then also, too, I look at, thirdly, this will increase the cost for businesses, which ultimately will either be passed down to consumers or force businesses to leave California. I think this is just another terrible idea from our politicians here in our lovely state. And, and we are pro-business and we want business to do well because when businesses do well, they can pay the employees more. They can pay their shareholders more. They pay more in taxes. This this types of things, and again, it's 500 employees. I think eventually would go, well, okay, if it works, we'll bring it down to 50 and then five. Now you're in the small business people. And again, you're right too. How's a small business guy supposed to compete? Because, well, you got to work for me for 40 hours. Well, I don't want to work for you because I can go to the bigger company and work for only 32 hours. Um, it just doesn't sit right with me. But even for those larger companies, as uh, you know, I was thinking, so you have 500 employees. Okay, now you're going to cut everybody down to 32 hours. Their output is not going to be the same. So you technically have to go out and hire 100 more employees to cover just to stay even or pay those 32-hour week employees overtime. No matter how you look at it, businesses lose it. And, and it's not a good thing. And I think many companies with that situation would leave California. And, and the thing that I wasn't clear on when I was looking at this uh, article was it says there'd be no cut in pay. So I, I'm wondering, does that mean no cut in the hourly pay? Because even those people now that, well, you lost eight hours of work, that you're gonna be getting paid less on an annualized basis. Or does it mean that they get a pay raise uh, in terms of their hourly pay, and then you got to pay times and a half on top of the increased pay that they're they're already getting? Right. So that's something that I'd also want to look closer at is saying, well, it kind of might hurt employees if they don't get an increase in their hourly rate because now you're not making as much money too. You know, and I think politicians, it should be a requirement. I've said in the past, they should have an economics degree. I think also too, they should have like a five-year period of running a business to see what it's like to run a business. It, because in government, you're just like, oh, well, we can do whatever we want because we can either raise taxes or we'll just build a big deficit, who cares? But with a business, you've gotta be profitable. You've gotta do this. You, it, and it, it, I just wish politicians would understand more what it's like to be a CEO of a business or even a, a CFO, something to see what is going on in the business world. Maybe, just maybe they'd make better decisions uh, for the economy and for, people in general. Yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to point out too, is I, I had somebody 
kind of comment on the post. Well, actually, I heard that productivity actually increases when people do the 32-hour work week. And I said, you know, if you've looked at this, you have to understand what productivity is. Mm-hmm. Productivity is the output you get based off the inputs that go into the equation. So if you put in less time as the input and the output declines less than the inputs do, well, the productivity increases. Well, what's the problem with that equation? Your output's down. <laughs> so now what's our issue? We don't have enough goods right now to go around the economy. We don't have enough services to go around the economy. That's why inflation or part of the reason why inflation is spiking. So now we have less good circling. Oh, gosh, that means inflation is going to become more problematic. That's one thing you got to look at. You have to understand numbers, and you can find surveys, and you can find articles that can pull out anything they want to make right. an equation like this look favorable. But you have to put your critical thinking hat on and actually think about that. Well, yeah, yeah productivity increases. Funny thing, I was talking to you know Harrison, our financial planner. I said, well, if you actually look at it, maybe we need more pandemics because productivity <laughs> spiked oh, I see during... Right. During COVID, because right. you had to lay off everybody, and because all those input costs were going down, the output wasn't falling as quickly. Productivity was up drastically yeah. during that time frame. Clearly, I'm being facetious there. Your output was way, way down. Very difficult time for businesses, but that's what I mean. You have to understand the numbers behind the equation. It's not just oh, productivity increased. You have to understand well, why? How did that happen? You know, I'm sure somebody's going to say Chase says we need more pandemics. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's just an example. But and it's what I get into. You brought up the part about critical thinking. So important was investing. And some people, you don't have the time to do. I mean, that's why 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 we do what we do. We're, we're professionals. We manage you know money for people because we have the time to go through and dig into that. Now, if you've got a family and you've got a normal job, you don't have time many times to do this. But it's so important to do. And you can't. And it's what I call just reading the headlines because I'm sure that was in the headlines. You got to take the time for the next I don't know ten minutes or whatever to read about the details and think about the details, not just read it, but understand like, well, wait a minute, what if this happens? Yeah, that's true what they're saying, but you made the point that, well, the output overall is down. That's what's more important. But again, you can, what's the saying? Numbers don't lie, people lie, same thing down. Oh, so. and number, the thing is that I think is funny about that saying it's, is numbers can be massaged to, oh, yeah. to, to, to fit your argument. but. Right. You know, you have to understand the numbers. And a lot of times people just regurgitate numbers without understanding what they're mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and that's so true is that you've got to understand those numbers. Gosh, I, I, we have no callers waiting because I forgot to give out the, the phone numbers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to call in for that unbiased, no strings attached, final opinion about what you want to talk about. Give us a call at 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 0973. Uh, we, we got a, uh, a request here for analysis on AT&T corporate spinoff and what we think of the new company since shareholders of AT&T now have stock in Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, at first, I thought we we're going to look at AT&T, but I think he's asking about Warner Bro- Brothers Discovery. Are those numbers up yet for Warner Brothers Discovery or no? You know, I, I was going to say, I think we should talk more conceptually about it just sure. because AT&T just reported on Thursday, so we're not going to have new numbers there. Warner Bros. Discovery was still part of AT&T's kind of report, so it's really difficult because you're not going to get really strong numbers, I think, on on Warner Bros. Discovery. 
until next quarter. So yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard. You have to look through a lot of the data. We, we talked about the HBO Max, how that actually grew uh, in the quarter. I thought that was a positive. I do know, I, I think the stock may be struggling because AT&T's numbers were quite good. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if people are selling their Warner Bros to buy back more AT&T. I think that the fickle investors, the retail investors in Warner Bros are like, I don't want this thing. And they're kind of selling it. I thought there was going to be a lot of selling pressure. And that's kind of what we've seen. But you know, um, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens with that stock in particular. Yeah, because I look at the numbers, I, I I feel like you. Know, I'm not sure if these numbers are accurate or not, and we don't give up bad numbers for Warner Brothers. Uh, and I think you're right that uh, some people, after the spinoff, they said, okay, just let me dump this Warner Brothers Discovery, this symbol WBD. Um, the other thing that happened too, I'm sure you saw that uh, CNN dropped CNN Plus at a cost, I believe, of four hundred million dollars which I was glad to see because it shows that the new executives on Warner Brothers Discovery are going to do what's, what's right, not just do whatever. I'm disappointed about the $400 million loss they're going to take, but I think they're going to do better things with that. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I can look at the uh, kind of estimates for Warner Bros going forward, but again, there's just not a lot of information just yet. And like if I look out to December 2023 for Warner Bros, I see an estimate for earnings per share of $2.07. That gives us like a forward PE of 9.9. Right. But there's just one analyst that I see here. Yeah, we like to have at least four or five. And and I do see that it does show the PE ratio for them right now is 13.4, which sounds pretty good. Uh, Industries at 20.2, price of sales 1.1 versus 2.1, that's good. Uh, no price of tangible book value, no surprise there. Price of cash are looking good, uh, 4.9 versus 11.9. Um, you know, I'm not sure if these earnings really matter going over the last one year or the sales of the last one year because it, it it's a different company now. So that's why we're kind of hesitant on that. They're not going to pay a dividend, uh, AT&T. And it's kind of funny, all the talk about what AT&T's dividend was going to be. Uh, they still have, I think, one of the highest dividends. I think their dividends like six point, well, five point seven. Well, because the uh, I think the stock has come up quite a bit yeah. since the spinoff. Because I think when it first happened, I think it was about six point seven. Yeah. Now with the increase in stock price, well, the yield goes down. That's just how, kind of how that works. But um, yeah, so it, it, it's you know if you hold it, uh, we would say continue to hold it. Uh, still not feeling that yes, we're going to recommend a buy. Uh, on either one of these at this point in time. Uh, we'll get new numbers next week, so we could change on that, but Warner Brothers is a little bit different. We need more analysts on, on Warner Brothers. And that's the difficult thing with Warner Bros is when you got the spinoff, when you own that company, it's a smaller percentage of your portfolio. So it's, I don't like to think this way generally, but it's not gonna hurt you, it's not gonna help you too much with that stock price moving around because it, it, it was such a small sliver compared to what the AT&T shares were at. So if you continue to hold it and be patient with it, I think you're gonna wait for better numbers. I know they have a lot of great assets. I, I think that the new CEO, David Zavlov, I think his name is, I think he he's gonna do a great job. He had a great experience in my understanding of kind of merging Scripps Networks into Discovery. He does a great job kind of streamlining things, making the business much more efficient. So I, I, I'd be patient, and as you said, I'd wait to kind of get more numbers on Warner Bros. I think that right now we're talking about people kind of just selling now and asking right. questions later. I'd rather be patient, see the good numbers, and then make a decision. And if that takes three to six months to make a, a sound decision, maybe you do sell out a little bit of a loss, I'd rather have good numbers than just, you know, shoot now and ask questions later. Right. Now, I like how you say Warner Bros. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I would say Warner Brothers. You always say Warner Bros. Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the bros in there. Like, they're the bros. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you read it on, uh, like, uh, the service that we use, it's Warner Bros. They, they, oh, they, 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 they yeah. shorten it. Yeah. Uh, maybe that is actually the name. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, because I know it was Warner Brothers before, but yeah. maybe they shorted themselves. So maybe you're right. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So, all right. Phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go down to Bonita and speak with Greg. Greg, you're in the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Appreciate it. <clears throat> Pardon me. Good morning. Thank you. How you doing? Um, I have a, a well. I, I think, as we all do, a, a bit of a uh, instance going on with the uh, different markets that we're in. I'm trying to coalesce my. I have a dividend portfolio. I'm trying to wrap it into a few and lower the exposure. And I have a, a equity. It's I've had it across. I know you're going to ask. Uh, I've had it a while across three different accounts. Uh, the latest being. Uh, Two and a half years ago, and uh, <clears throat> got it in just after the uh, COVID downturn. I thought I made a fairly astute move because I had history on it. I knew it's been trading in the high twenties, and I got it at sixteen or something. And uh, now it's. I'm wondering, is it going to go to zero? The symbol is DMO. Okay, and that is the. Western Asset Mortgage Opportunity Fund Incorporated. So we do have some numbers on that for you. Uh, and, and just based on what that says in there, mortgage, uh, that could be a problem because as rates go up, the value of mortgages will go down uh, if you yeah, hold that. No, yeah. I realize yeah. that, but I'm, I'm hoping it all comes back sooner or later, and I'm in it for the income Okay. Well, let's take a look at some valuations that we do have here. I do see the P.E. ratio is 7.1 versus 9.6. And be frank, I'm surprised they have a P.E. ratio. Uh, we do see price of sales 7.4. That's well above the industry at 2.4. Price of tangible book value, this looks good. It's 0.8 versus 10.7. It tells me you're only paying 80 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company. Yeah, it's, pay it's uh, selling at a, at a discount for like the first time. It's a closed-end fund for like the first time one of the only times I would say, I don't know. It's yeah. always trading at a premium. Yeah. Now, I, I see what excites you, the 9.9% yield, uh, the industry's at 3.8, and, and sometimes we tell people that could be a warning sign. I mean, why is the yield so high? It's many times, in this case, because the price of the, of the stock or the fund has actually dropped dramatically. Uh, we see debt to equity, not a lot here, but uh, 0.5 versus 1. That's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to turn over to Chase to see if uh, you have anything going forward on, on this fund at all. Uh, no, I don't have anything going forward on it. I, I was just kind of looking at this company. And, and one thing that, that concerns me is when I look at the max chart of this company, it goes back to 2010. Um, and the reason that concerns me is, well, number one, it's down 33% since 2010. Uh, but the issue I have is they haven't really proven periods of difficult times. Yeah. So I mean, it's never come back since the since the COVID, which is the thing. Yeah, and oh. it it got hurt during COVID, as you said. That's when it really really fell off a cliff there. But so COVID was a difficult time period. But I'm kind of talking about like recessions, financial crisis. Uh, well, they haven't. They, it got through that. Okay. I don't see a chart 
back oh, wait, going back. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, so 2000. So that's what concerns me is, you know, I I don't think we're gonna have a 2008, 2009. We we actually, um, you know, yeah. we're talking to a couple mortgage friends yesterday, yeah. and you know, there's a lot more strength in the mortgage market compared to 2006, seven, eight. So I don't see a huge, huge crash, but it, this doesn't give me comfort in kind of looking back over time. And I, I just, I worry about the mortgages as interest rates rise. I, I don't think, I think you could have a bigger loss than what your dividend's producing. So yeah, yeah you, that's can't, what, you can't, you don't have any projections. Though. No, because no, it's a yeah. fund. Yeah, there, there's yeah. no like earnings or anything yeah. that come from it. And, and Greg, I got to say, if I had this in my portfolio, I couldn't sleep at night because we know that rates are going up. Uh, paying a 9.9% dividend. Well, my question is, what if they cut that dividend? Your stock's yeah, gonna fall. It has been fall. Just last month as well. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. I picked up, I, I, and uh, that was my question. How low is it? Is it time to either, you know, I mean, is it maybe a great time to add more, or is it uh, time to get rid of it completely? Because uh, you know, the total return is not bad, right? I, because it's that monthly dividend, so. You know, I had one one time in one of the other accounts that I aforementioned and I uh, told the broker at the time, he says, Greg, the price isn't coming back. It was had gone from 20 to 16, and it's now trading at 6 or something. But I told him at the time, I said, it could go to 4 before I'm worried about it, as long as the dividends. Well, we'll see, but actually, if it goes, and again, in that case, you're paying a 10% dividend, it goes from 6 to 4, uh, you're you're not even breaking even. I I I'm gonna tell you to sell this because no, I no, don't see. Yeah, no, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Right. Yeah, and I, I appreciate your. Yeah, um, I, because I just don't feel like rates are gonna turn and go down, and 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 I think this fund is gonna struggle for a while. I don't think they'll even make the dividend, and if they keep cutting that dividend, you're you're in, you're in, yeah. not where you should be. And I just think it, there's there's no real way as as we said there, there's no earnings on it. I that's why we don't like to buy funds is because there, there's nothing that we can really analyze and wrap our arms around. You're kind of in limbo land here, and and you're kind of pulling out a price in your head without, you know, what is the true value? I can't give you a true value because there, there's no real earnings, there's no real cash flows that I can look at for a, a business perspective. So, I, I I'd recommend a sell on this because it, it's just it's too difficult to to wrap your arms around, and also too I I just I don't think it's a, a good place to be in raising rising interest rates. Already? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome, Greg. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to City Heights and speak with Frank. Frank, you're in the Smart Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I wanted to check out uh, Smith & Weston. Okay. Do you hold that or looking to buy that? I do not hold it. I was just uh, maybe looking to buy it. Okay, well, let's take a look at the Smith and Wesson brands. Their symbol is S W B I. I don't know if this is right or not, but they're in the aero. I guess the industry is the aerospace and defense industry. That's that's what industry they're in, kind of industry. But it is you know weapons. So uh, float is kind of increasing on this. It's six percent. So I'm thinking maybe people are concerned that it could be turning going the other way. Institutional ownership about fifty eight percent. Uh, wow, P.E. ratio 2.9 versus 39.3. That's extremely low. That's kind of a warning sign. It's not like great. Uh, I think it's a warning sign that perhaps the earnings in the past were good, but they're not going to be good going forward. Price of sales, 0.7 versus 1.9. Price of tangible book value, 2.2 versus a not material for the industry. And then price of cash flow is 3.1 
versus 20.6. And they have a very good pay ratio, though, 0.3 versus 3.7. Now, their earnings over the past year, well, they're up 224%. Industry is up 209 However, their sales were actually down 6.7%. Industry did experience an increase of 1.7. The analysts give it a five-year earnings per share growth rate of 15%. That is above the industry at 11.1. Uh, they pay a decent dividend at 2.2%. Uh, they use 58% of their earnings to pay that out. Or no, that's a 5.8% of their earnings to pay that out. Sorry, I didn't see the little decimal point there. Uh, and uh, back buyback yield, pretty good as well, 23.1 versus 2.1. So I kind of like when I see this company, but, uh, oh, let me look at the balance sheet. Uh, current ratio, 3.2 versus 1.6. Debt to equity, 0.1 versus uh, 0.7. That's a positive. Uh, we do see a net profit margin, also very good, 24.6 versus 6.7. Return on equity, wow, 75.8 versus 14.1. Again, sounds too high. I, I want to quickly get to Chase because I think we're going to be disappointed, maybe, when we look at the earnings going forward. Well, I have good news and bad news. I'll, okay. I'll start with the good news here. Current price, $14.29, 52-week high, $39.61. So big pullback there could could present an opportunity. 52-week low, $13.85. Year-to-date return, well, that's down 19.3%. If I go forward for Smith & Wesson, I go to April 2023. They report on a fiscal basis. I do see estimated earnings per share of $2.23. That does give us a target sell price of $37.02. That's the good news. Bad news. Just two analysts follow it. Also, April 2022, the company is looking for $4.11 of earnings. So you're looking at about a 46% mm. decline. And also, the cyclicality of earnings for this company, it's just crazy. I mean, back in 2019, the company made $3 million in net income. Last year in 2021, $279 million. Oh, wow. So it go. I mean, that's the thing is there's not reoccurring revenue. It's, you know, how are gun sales doing it? It's going to completely hinge off of that factor. And if you have like a big boom, like we've been seeing now, what's going to happen next year and the following year? Are we going to be in this kind of lull where all of a sudden their income goes from $279 million back down to $40 million, then back down to $10 million? And there's just too much cyclicality in these earnings, I think, to really use that that valuation metric as a good way to to set the target sell price it's gonna i think this company is more of a trading company and what i mean by that is it's going to trade based off of the momentum and gun sales it, it's too hard to trade based off of the fundamentals i would say and i think it's based off of and i think a lot of these sales came from when joe Biden got elected like everybody goes, oh he's going to come out with gun laws you can't buy guns any longer so there's a big rush to go out and buy guns well, that hasn't happened, so I think now that's kind of come down. I mean, how many guns can people buy? Uh, there was that big push, and I think most people want guns that have them now. Uh, we just don't see as a follow-up. And again, the, the earnings you said, what, 411 for this year, 2022, and, well, and, and it's a fiscal year, but still, it, it's, it's not going to match that. So, yeah, nice pullback in the stock. I see we're saying good news, bad news. Uh, just don't see big returns coming from this company. I, I don't like only what you say, two analysts, three analysts. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and and big returns could come in the stock, but I, I just it, it's not something I would feel comfortable buying. I like to see things that that aren't this cyclical in nature. I, I like good sound earnings growth. This company has big earnings swings rather than consistent growth. Right, right. So. Yeah, I mean, I like the concept. I like the way the numbers kind of look, but uh, I think it could be disappointing. Kind of like a value trap going yeah. forward is what this could be. All righty, Frank. Okay, thank you for the advice. You're welcome. Have a good one.
Bye bye. All right, that does open the phone line. 833 288 0973. That's 833 288 0973. Let's go. Well, I, I don't know who that is there. Yeah, okay. Uh, actually, uh, I see Harrison there. So let's go out to Harrison. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Harrison? Uh, you there? Harrison? Hello? Oh, there you are. Okay. A little, little connection problem there, I think. I think <laughs> that was on our end. So uh, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. I, I like your topic this morning, working smart, not hard. A explain what you're talking about there. Well, if you're Brent, you can also work smart and hard. But uh, the point, <laughs> I like that. The point is to be smart. So, <laughs> so I meet with a lot of people, and sometimes I hear people say, you know, well, I want to enjoy my money now, or um, I'm close to retirement. I don't want to save anymore. Um, I'm just ready to retire. And so I want to make something really clear. I don't tell people that they're spending too much, and all they need to do is save more for their future. People don't want to hear that, and at the end of the day, it's not very helpful or valuable. Maybe in some rare circumstances, if someone is blowing through their money, that's that's one thing, but 99% of the time, that's not my advice to people. It's much more important to be smarter with the money that we have and the decisions that we make so that you can actually spend more money, travel more, live more. Um, we're not put on this earth just to save money. We're supposed to live, and I believe that. Um, and if we can make smarter decisions, we can do more of that. So I've got a, a couple I met with this week for the second time. One is retired and one is still working. In the first meeting, the retired one said that, you know, they've worked and now they're just ready to enjoy their money because they thought I was going to say, well, they're spending too much and they really should cut back and save some more. But that's not the case at all. I don't blame them for thinking that, but that's, that's not my advice to them. So when I met with them this week, we restructured their income. They had a couple different sources. We moved some things around. And at, as a result of it, they are going to have the same after-tax income hit their bank account every single month, but we're going to save them about $12,000 a year in taxes. So they don't feel anything because they get the same cash flow, but we're saving $1,000 a month in taxes. That's the point of being smart with our money. We, we don't want to just save more. We want to we make sure that every decision with our dollars goes further and uh, does more for us. And, and that makes a lot of a lot of sense there as well. And be, because again, you do have to kind of enjoy life. But and my fortunate thing is, I, I love what I do. I love working with people. I love you know making portfolios grow. But there is that balance, and sometimes you can do that. And here again, it comes back to knowing what you're doing. And this is what you do full time as a, a CFP, a financial planner. Very important to talk to somebody that says yes, you can enjoy things a little bit, or no. Sorry, you're so far away from retirement. You got to work your butt off. <laughs> I was gonna say you definitely give the truth. So you know, listeners, don't get this wrong. Harrison can't take a hundred thousand dollars and give you a hundred thousand right. dollars a year in income. But you know, <laughs> it, I I definitely think that's a great point. Harrison is. I think a lot of people they work and work and work, and they're like, I can't retire. I just got to keep working. And like, no, you can retire. And that's one thing I think you do a great job of is actually being realistic with people. And, and Harrison, uh, that's going to kind of throw you off a little bit here, but uh, we had a question. I know you're more the expert on the I-bonds because uh, you see these more in people's mm -hmm. portfolio. Can you, can you give a brief uh, analysis if you think the I-bonds, uh, or kind of just tell us what they are and the benefits and the downsides to them? 
So it's a Series I bond. You get it directly. Um, if you just Google like Series I savings bond, the first link will tell you where you can get it. You don't get it from like a bank or, or us or anything like that. You get it directly from um, the government. But what it is is every person can buy um, $10,000 of these bonds per year. So if you're a couple, that's $20,000 that you can buy. Um, right now, the interest rate on them is 7.2%. And so if you buy this bond, you get that 7.2% interest for the first six months. Um, it's a 7.2% annualized rate, so you get it for the first six months. And then um, after that, the, the interest rate readjusts, so it readjusts every single month. I think the next six-month term is like 9% something. I, I've seen that. So right now, through the end of this month, April, you can get those Series I bonds, get your 7.2% for the first six months. And then after that six months, it's you get like nine something percent. But the, the caveat is that money is locked up for 12 months. So if you do that, you cannot touch it. It's not liquid for 12 months. And then after that 12 months, if you redeem it within five years, you um, give up the last three months of interest that you earned. After five years, you can redeem it um, and not have any penalties and give up any interest. But again, the interest readjusts every single six months, um, and the I stands for inflation. So we're seeing a little bit higher um, inflation now, so that's why the, the rates on these things have increased a little bit. And the limit's, what, $10,000. So if you have a million-dollar portfolio, it probably makes no sense to actually do that because it won't even move the needle. Um, it won't move the needle, yeah. Um, the, the interest is taxable as ordinary income on the federal side, um, but it's not taxable on the state side. And you got to hold them for about 12 months, which actually is not a bad deal because, again, you're going to get 7%, maybe a, a increase in 9%, uh, and then after that you can do something else. Uh, but to get the yeah, full interest, I mean, you have to hold it for five years is my understanding? So you Five years. So if you hold it for 12 months, for example, that means you'll get nine months worth of interest. Um, you, you give up that. Last the, the last three months of interest for it. So, I mean, I think it's good for someone if you've got some cash, maybe you've got like $50,000 in your savings account or whatever, and you're a married couple, and well, the, the $50,000 that you have is not doing anything, you need an emergency fund, um, well, maybe take $20,000 of that and get these I bonds, and now you've got $20,000 actually earning something, and then you have the other $30,000 that's completely liquid. Um, so in that situation, I think it can make sense. So yeah. It's like a 12-month CD. Yeah, and I was thinking if you do yeah. cash it in, you, you won't get maybe the 7 or 9% because you lose three months of interest, but you still might get, I'm just throwing out numbers here, and you can calculate it for somebody who has them, uh, you might get maybe a 5 or 6% yield, which is not too bad for $10,000. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not a bad thing. I can't believe the government is doing that. That's why the government's going broke. <laughs> 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 well, Harrison, thank you very much. We'll, we'll let you go, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. All right. Sounds good, guys. We'll see you on Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. All righty. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. That gets you through for what you want to talk about, that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion. Right now, let's go up to Long Beach and speak with David. David, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi. Mike, uh, this one phone I'm on is kind of weak on the mouthpiece. It's an ancient phone. Am I coming in okay? Uh, you're a little bit fuzzy, but we can make it out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, my stock is 3M, but since he just mentioned I-bonds, I consider myself an expert 
having brought them back when George Bush put them out in wow. 2001. And I can tell you the last six months, because in those days they had a fixed rate, mine was three, and then the six-month adjustment that Harrison mentioned. So what happened to me in uh, November, they reset November and May 1st, and it reset with a 6% inflation on top of the three. So I've been getting nine, and I'm expecting to get 10 or 11% effective May 1st. And the only thing he didn't mention that's the, that's good about them is you don't ever get the interest till you sell them. So I've never uh, had a taxable event for the 20 years I've owned them. Oh, because it's not taxable till you actually cash them in because it's like the interest is deferred. Right, that, that right. is a big positive. Yeah. Then, then you get a 1099 from last ones I cashed in from my local bank. They put them through to the Fed, and the Fed in Minneapolis is the one that's handling them now. They're very hard to get a hold of them. you got to almost be on the Internet. But Okay, let's oh, get to well, 3M. Uh, and, 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 just, and just real quick, David, you said they're hard to get a hold of. Is there a limited supply of the I-bonds? Is that what you're no, saying? No, no. What they did is cut off all their phone people that had been there <laughs> okay. through January, and now suddenly you're on a two-hour hold, and they <laughs> cut the hours back. There's got to be some way you got to get that high interest rate, so they put you on a two-hour hold. Be, be patient, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's a pretty good deal if you bought them in those first two or three years of, of George Bush. Uh, Obama killed the fixed rate, and no one's ever put it back. Maybe if the Republicans, you know, in 24, let's say, somebody gets in, the Treasury Secretary, uh, it was a great deal. I mean, it was too good of a deal as it worked yeah. out for me, so maybe they'll never put it back. <laughs> well, how can we help you there, uh, David? 3, 3M, the uh, the old Minnesota mining, and it's got a low PE. They just did raise their dividend. They're still an aristocrat, uh, but very barely raised the dividend a penny, and the stock seems to be trading for something as good as that, um, they're always positive on the earnings, but the stock is actually down. In 2016, it was a $200 stock. It's now at about 140 Yesterday's sell-off wasn't too bad. It was a point and a half. Okay. Well, well let's take it to 3M. Uh, their symbol is MMM. Uh, short, very low, 1.6%. Institutional ownership, 68%. Uh, the P.E. ratio, 14.8. That's not as good as the industry at 10.6. I'll need to point that out for you. Price of sales, 2.5 versus 0.7. That's not good. Valuation ratios, you do want them lower than the industry average. And price to tangible book value, not material. Uh, the industry at 54.6. I do believe uh, 3M does have a lot of intangible assets on the balance sheet. We do see price of cash flow, 11.7. That is the same as the industry. Peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by the growth going forward, the lower the number, the better. 2.1 for 3M versus 30.4 for the industry. Uh, earnings per share over the last one year have grown by 3.6%, not as good as the industry at 21.7. And the sales are up 7.3%, also not as good as the industry, up 32%. Uh, and they own the industry of conglomerates. So that's a, a big industry there. Uh, we do see a, a dividend yield of 4%. That's very nice. They only use 58% the earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet. Current ratio 1.7. That is better in the industry at 1.5. Debt to equity 1.2. Same as the industry. No problem there. Uh, net profit margin 16.8. That is far better than the industry at 6.1. Return equity also looking good, 39.4 versus 15.5. And return on capital 
is a 19.1 versus nine. Chase, what do you got going forward? Yeah, so current price here for 3M, $149.17. 52-week high, well, that was $208.95, and the low, $139.74. Year-to-date return down 15.2%. Also, too, I'm quite surprised by this. The five-year return down 9.2%. So uh, probably, uh, you still probably made money off it the last five years if you held it because of the dividend, but just still not a very good return there. If I go forward for 3M, though, I go up to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $11.02. That would give us a target sell price of $182.93. It's about 22 23% away from uh, the current price there. So that would be in our hold category. I wouldn't be buying it at this level. As I said, it'd be a hold. We like a 30% margin of safety. So I keep an eye on it. I, I like the name. I, I, I like the business. I will tell you, I struggle with the conglomerate still though yeah. and it's a it's a benefit but also a curse at the same time and what i mean by that it's nice because they have diversified businesses but a lot of times you can have elevated expenses in certain areas because you're not necessarily an expert in running that business you just have so many different things going on that you can have a lot of uh, again elevated expenses and lack of efficiency in certain business lines i don't know if that's the case with 3m i haven't done the deep dive analysis on it but it, it is something i've seen in the past with a company like ge let's say yeah yeah. And the other thing, too, that uh, I, I kind of look at is that I believe they benefit a lot from COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they had the mask. They had the, what they call them, the protective gear. They had a yeah. PE or something. I would think PPE. PPE. Or something. Yeah. I had yeah. some lawsuits over some old earplugs from the military. But, uh, yeah. uh, again, what they seem to miss on their last earnings call, which is when it knocked it down in the most recent thing, um, uh, again, most of the stuff you read uh, sounds good, and to me, uh, well, when you when you compare it to the industry, there's so few conglomerates that exist like that. Of course, GE's the disaster because um, Jack Welch picks the wrong CMO, but that's you know ancient. <laughs> and and one thing too, you you mentioned the conference call. The, those are so important because you mentioned they had something go wrong there. What you want to when you listen to those conference calls, you you hear bad news. You have to say, is this a fixable problem or is this a problem that's going to last forever? They're not going to get out of it. Uh, then you don't want to buy the company. Uh, the other thing too is that I think it's worth maybe watching this company. Uh, but one or two things have to do: the earnings have to increase or the share price has to come down more. Uh, I think Chase had closed at about 149 on, mm-hmm. on Friday. It, it probably needs to fall maybe down to low 140s. But then before you buy it, you mentioned the bad thing on the conference call. Is that a fixable problem? That's one thing we would look at, seeing is it something they'll get over the next you know 12 to 24 months? If so, it could be a great buy. All righty. Sounds good. Uh, thank, thank you. Uh, the last time you did one for me, it was GE. Uh, I'm just using it as when I need a tax loss. Luckily, they didn't go bankrupt. That is true. That is true. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye, David. Have a good one. All right. Uh, I'd say that opens another phone line, but we only got about five minutes left. I, I, if somebody's quick, we can probably answer one more. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Uh, we got a couple of... Do you have one you want to talk about, Chase? Or just... Uh, cause, cause uh, we I was going to say the pullback in the S&P. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's quite relevant to today's times. Yeah, because if you think the pullback in the S&P 500 is over, you may want to think again. At the start of the year, the S&P 500 is trading at 21.5 times uh, the next year's earnings, and the 10-year Treasury yield was 1.5%. 
The index has now pulled back to about 19.4 forward earnings, and the 10-year Treasury now is around 2.8%. Even now, it's about 2.9. But with that much of an increase in the 10-year Treasury and all things being equal, the S&P 500 is now about 15% overvalued. To get back to the average, one of two things must happen. Stock prices would have to fall by 15% or earnings would have to rise by about 18%. And I don't see that happening. If you are holding high valuation stocks, be aware they could take a hit going forward. I do think it would be a combination of the two, earnings growth and uh, somewhat of a correction in the stock market. But uh, I don't think 18% earnings growth is likely by any means. Yeah, and, and one thing that always comes to my mind is uh, the great investor Peter Lynch who talked about, uh, like somebody says, well, gosh, it was at 10, now it's at five, how much lower could it go? That is not a good investment yeah. philosophy. You've gotta look at the fundamentals and just because, I'll, I'll throw it, just because it's Apple, just because it's Microsoft does not mean it cannot come down to more reasonable valuation levels. And we've seen that with Apple. If you go back over what, the last 10, 15 years, there's times Apple's cut down by I think 30, 40, maybe 50% of time. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I remember years ago, they had issues with their, their iPhone sales. Like, oh my gosh, and the stock was just hammered. Yeah. And you know, those companies aren't invincible. They're, they're not, not subject to single stock risk. They, they still could have problems and it, it could take down the portfolios. It could take down the S&P quite, quite easily. So you gotta be careful. And I, I just, I, I think the S&P 500, it's still not, inexpensive by any means even with the correction that we've yeah. seen so far year to date it, it's it's still expensive so so be cautious especially what happens is interest rates rise what that means is it makes future cash flows less attractive so that's why the problem is rising interest rates it's hurting these high growth companies which is now hammering the S&P 500 and again we talked about Apple Microsoft reporting this week could be a benefit to the S&P or could drag it down further if the results aren't as expected. And I've not looked at it lately, but I know back when we said the S&P was really expensive, I'm gonna say, oh, probably sometime last year, I don't think we talked about it since then this year, but how I think it was about 24% of the S&P 500 was made up of five companies. Uh, I think it was what, uh, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. Was the fifth one Netflix? I don't think so. No, it wasn't Netflix. Um, Can't think of who it is. but. I'm kind of curious what that is doing now. No, Tesla is now in that that realm. Oh, Tesla, okay. So Tesla still held up pretty well. And again, they had great earnings reports, so congratulations on that. But um, I, you know, I still think it's probably, I'm gonna maybe guess maybe at least 20%. So if those five companies, and actually Amazon did was up, a, I'm gonna say maybe 10% or so, uh, when they announced the 20 uh, <laughs> for one split, and then, oh, we're gonna buy back $10 billion of the stock, whatever they, they talked about. Um, it pushed them up back of 3,000. I think they're now down, back down, I think 28, 2,900 yeah. again. Yeah, so um, they could still fall further, which could hurt the S&P 500 uh, because they still make up a, a big part uh, of that. So, and they have not done that. When you look at all these other companies, like, gosh, you know, uh, NVIDIA's way down, Netflix, we've talked about that, uh, Peloton, all these companies have really taken some big hits. Your big companies have not yet, and I put yet there. Yeah, yeah, and, and actually the five that you alluded to, it's Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. So I think you got them right. Facebook. You were just looking, oh, it's Facebook, okay. Yep. Forgot that one then. Or I guess Meta, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, and Meta's <laughs> actually, they're down quite a bit as well. So Apple and Microsoft still have not come down as much as some of the other big flyers yet. But then also too, Berkshire, Tesla, NVIDIA are the next company. So Berkshire is the only real, what I would call, non-tech company in that whole top nine there. JP Morgan's number 10. I don't know.
Well, timed that pretty good. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also visit our website at smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. And we'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. To think that I did all that.